You're listening to sermons from Redeemer Church in Round Rock, Texas. Redeemer is a gospel-centered, missional family learning and living the way of Jesus in the suburbs of Austin. Good morning, church family. Go ahead and take a seat. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That is, uh, as Joshua just beautifully read for us, that is where we will be today. Um, Good morning to you guys. I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad to be here with you. Uh, My name is Rick Bowers. I am one of the pastors here at Redeemer, and I'm excited to walk through this passage with you, one of the most well-known passages in all of our Bible. And maybe for some of you, As we just read this passage, your mind ran back to your wedding, or maybe it ran back to the wedding of someone you know, or maybe it went to a hallway in your home or your parents' home or your grandparents' home where this text is framed with a gold frame and sort of written in scroll and hung on a wall, Uh, and your mind probably ran to those places because this is such a common text for everyone to know. Uh, For Christians and non-Christians alike, most people are familiar with 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And the reason is, is because it's all about love. And we love love, right? At least we love the idea of love. We write songs about it. We make movies about it. We make TV shows about it. And those things sell because we love, as a culture, we love love. We We know, some of us know, love can be painful, love can be hard, but we still love the idea of it. We love the idea of it as it's written in this text, that it's patient, it's kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, and on and on and on. We love that love. But if I asked you this morning, how often do you experience that love, I'm curious as to what your answer might be. Or if I asked you this morning, how often do you show that love, I'm curious as to what that answer might be. It doesn't seem that the Corinthians were really experiencing or showing that love either because we have this text in this letter this morning. Paul is is continuing his correction of this young Corinthian church. He's renovating their hearts and their minds as they live as followers of Jesus in a secular culture. And as the ways of the culture around them sort of seep in to life in Christian community, a few weeks ago we saw Paul shift gears and he moved into talking more and more about how the Corinthians were acting and behaving when they came together like this, when they came together as a believing family uh, of church members, as they came together as a loving community. And we watched last week as the discussion turned to spiritual gifts. The Corinthians were starting to value one spiritual gift over another. Some of them were feeling superior because they had certain gifts. They were feeling puffed up. They were feeling arrogant. And then some of them were feeling inferior because they didn't have those gifts. And what they were forgetting is that the the gathering of believers, the church, is the body of Christ. It's made up of many members. All are equally important. All have value. We need everyone and not a single person can function in isolation. But we can ruin anything, right? We can get jealous of anything. We can get arrogant with all kinds of things, even really good things. And that's what was happening with spiritual gifts in the Corinthian church. And we're still in the middle of that discussion 
Paul talked about it in chapter 12. We're going to hear more about it in chapter 14. But we find ourselves right now in this sort of crescendo uh, that Paul builds up all around this idea about love. And it feels like in the iconic song of Maverick and Goose that the Corinthians have lost that loving feeling. They're beginning to think that this gift is important, that that gift is important, and they're beginning to think all kinds of things are important, but they're forgetting what's truly important to God, love. They're losing the essence, the fragrant scent of Christian love on their lives, and many of us are guilty of losing that loving feeling too. If we just glance at this list of characteristics that Paul outlines for us, we can just grab a couple of them and we can see envy. Envy plagues us. You might hear in culture that greed is what drives and motivates us, but I don't think that's true. I think envy motivates us. It even motivates us to success, right? Boasting. Boasting comes so easily to us. Just look at your social media feed or pay attention the next time you're in a conversation with someone. How often do you just talk about yourself? Or how often do you look for small, subtle ways to inject how good you are, especially, especially if you're a Christian? Rudeness rolls off of our tongues daily. Just ask your spouse or your kids. We grow bitter. We grow, we grow uh, uh, irritated. We grow resentful when we don't get our ways, whether it's at home or at church or uh, in our jobs. And, and then reality hits us when we're standing there and we sort of see this damage around us that we've caused and we realize, hey, this damage has happened because I'm not exercising love. And we see we need our hearts constantly renovated. We need to be transformed by a better story, a story of rescue, a story of redemption, a story that pours a fragrant oil of affection all over us so that we then have this scent of Christian love. If you join me in prayer this morning, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll move into our text. Heavenly Father, sometimes we come to your word, and it is both beautiful and it is also hard, and that's where we find ourselves this morning. I just ask that you, you would illuminate our hearts and minds to those things in this text that are, that are beautiful. Don't let us miss those. Don't let us um, close our ears or our hearts to those things. And then I ask that you would meet us in those places where this text is hard that you would convict us where we need conviction, that you would lovingly guide us to repentance where we need to repent, and that you would just open our eyes to see you in both places. Let your spirit work in our hearts today. Remind us of the loving example of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you haven't already, go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Today, we cannot start in verse 1. We're going to back up one verse to chapter 12, verse 31. Remember, Paul has been talking about spiritual gifts, and he sort of listed all these spiritual gifts and all these offices that having a spiritual gift lead to. But then he says, there's something better. In verse 31 of chapter 12, he says, and I will show you a still more excellent way. So he lists all these gifts. He talks about how wonderful they are and how they can be helpful, but he says, you know what? 
There's still something more excellent. And then he starts in chapter 13, verse 1, and he says, If I speak in the tongue of men and of angels, but have not love. Let's stop right there. If you're an underliner and you think it's okay to write in your Bible, underline that word love because I want you to remember every time you read this passage that you cannot go anywhere in this passage without remembering two things, where it's located in this letter and two, until you wrap your mind around this idea of what Paul is talking about when he talks about love. Because uh, what Paul is saying and what we may think he's saying are probably not going to line up. As Westerners, we have our own ideas about love, and they're really strong ones. Our ideas of love are that love is romantic, right? It is passionate. It is candlelight dinners. It is exotic vacations. Uh, Love is romantic. It is uh, passionate. There is nothing that will hold it back, right? If, if, If love is just passion, then it can't stop. It's just going forward. It's going to do what it's going to do. Love is spontaneous. You can't plan if you're in love. Love just happens. And then we learned also that love never lets go, right? We learned that from Rose in the Titanic. Spoiler alert. At the end, she's floating on the piece of wood. Remember, she's holding Jack's hand. She says, I'll never let you go, Jack. But she also won't let Jack on the piece of wood, which is a different kind of love. But this is how most of us think about love. It's the kind of love we might say we want. It's the kind of love we may say we desire. It's even the kind of love we're going to say, hey, I need this kind of love. And in addition, emerging in our culture is a bit of a perversion of love. We've sort of made up our own minds about what love is and what love looks like and who can love who and how that actually plays out. Because remember, you can't hold back love. Love's just this force that you can't hold back. It's so passionate. Love is love. You can't box it in. We treat love like it's this nebulous force pulling us one way or another, and we have to submit to it. We have to give in to it like it's an emotion that we're enslaved to. But this kind of love that Paul's talking about is not that kind of love. And I would argue that that kind of love is actually not love at all. It's something, but it's not love. The Greeks had several words for love. That way they could know what you mean when you say, I love tacos, or I love my wife, or I love the dog, because those three aren't the same, right? We use them like they're the same. If you think they're the same, maybe we need a different sermon. But we just have one word for love, so it can be confusing if we sort of overlay our idea of love on top of this text. We need to see that Paul was not using the Greek word eros, which is closer to love in our culture, This kind of love is an erotic love. It's reflected in our obsession with sexuality and pleasure and using one another and instant gratification. But Paul's not using that word. Paul's not saying love in that way. Paul's using the word agape. In Greek culture, agape is the highest form of love. It's rarely achieved. It is rarely seen. It is a selfless love. It's not a love of enslavement. John Stott says it this way. He says, this love is a servant of the will, not a victim of the emotion. Do you hear that? This love is a servant of the will, not a victim of the emotion. In other words, it's purposeful movement and intentionality towards the object of affection. It's the only love that puts the object of affection before the agent of love. No other love does that. 
All other kinds of love are selfish love. Did you know that? When we say, I love that person, or when we say, I love that thing, or when we say, I love that vacation spot we go to every summer, what we're actually saying is, I love the way that thing makes me feel. And who benefits in that, right? We do. We do. I love that thing because I like the way I feel when I do. Pastor Alistair Begg says it this way. He says, we tend to be attracted to what we find lovely in another person and will stay attracted to them as long as they stay lovely. But as soon as they cease to be lovely, we'll stop loving them. In a 2021 article, The Atlantic wrote that friendship love is the love that makes people the happiest. While friendship is important in your life and in your marriage, I hate to burst your bubble, but it's still a transactional love. It's still a selfish love. With transactional love, it may look like I'm being selfless, but I'm not. I'm simply pursuing the object of affection so that I might get something, whether it's friendship or fun or companionship or sex, or whatever it might be. That kind of love is not this love. This love that we're talking about today places affection on the object regardless of its worth or reciprocation. If you want, you can write agape above the word love in verse 1, and just know that Paul uses that all through this passage. Now that we've done a little bit of groundwork on love... Keep that in your mind, and we'll move on. Back to verse 1. Remember, Paul is transitioning from talking about spiritual gifts. 13 verse 1. He says, If I can speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. He says, I can speak in all kinds of tongues. I can even speak in this gift, this angelic language. But if there's no aroma of love, if there's no uh, scent of Christian love in my life, I'm just making an annoying, frustrating sound. And he goes on in verse 2, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. He's going on here, putting on display the emptiness of spiritual gifts unless they're flavored by Christian love, prophecy, wisdom, knowledge, nothing at all without love. You know what the Greek word means there? Nothing means nothing. Nothing without love. There's a movie from the 80s. It's called Never Ending Story. And if I'm honest, it's one of my most favorite movies of all time. And in this movie, there's sort of this emptiness that sweeps across this fantasy land. And it's called The Nothing. And if, if, that, if The Nothing encounters beautiful plains and forests and, and mountains, as The Nothing sort of sweeps across these things, it just decimates them into oblivion. Or if the nothing is sweeping across the land and it encounters uh, fortresses and castles and creatures and people as it sweeps across, it just gets rid of them completely. The nothing just takes them over. And there's this scene in the movie where there's a really big, strong creature that you've come to love and he's sort of sitting there. Um, his friends have been taken and it's just impending that the nothing is coming to take over him as well. And he sits there and he holds up his hands and he says, they look like big strong hands. 
And if you're like me, you start crying at the kid's 80s movie. But the point is, these big, strong hands can't even overcome the nothing. Listen, here's what's scary about what Paul is saying in this text. Paul is saying that the big, strong gifts of the Spirit can be in operation. They can be happening without Christian love as the motive. Listen, God will use whatever God will use. He will use a crooked stick to point a straight path. We don't worry about that, but Christian gifts can be functioning without Christian love as their motivation. And if they are, it is worth nothing, nothing that should sober us as a church, that should wake us up as a church. Look at verse three. He says, even if I deliver my body, even if I deliver up my body to be burned, what? Even if I were martyred, it would mean nothing without the scent of Christian love in my life. It doesn't matter if we're a strong leader in the church. It doesn't matter if we read our Bibles every morning, if we have every spiritual discipline mastered. It doesn't matter if we serve at 10 different nonprofits and in 15 ways here in the church. It doesn't matter if we are uh, leading a million people, if we are leading five people. It doesn't matter if I'm meeting with everyone. If I do not have love as my motive, then it's worth nothing. A big, vast empty, endless, nothing. So what do we do? What do we do when we get caught up thinking the wrong things are important? How do we get this Christian love that Paul's talking about here? Let's keep reading. Look back at verse four with me. Love is patient and kind. Let's stop right there. Do you see this? We see right away that Paul is not talking about an emotion that we're enslaved to. He's talking about an emotion that is action, that is willful action. Patience is a passive action. Kindness is an action. And maybe those two, those two words sound a little familiar to you. Patience and kindness, there's a thread here in our scripture, so we need to pull on it a little bit. Paul is personifying an emotion, right? He's giving human characteristics to something non-human. Maybe Paul's seen that language before. Maybe it's somewhere else. Maybe Paul saw it in Exodus where it says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, that's kindness, slow to anger, that's patience, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Maybe he saw it in Numbers, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. Maybe Nehemiah, but you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, that's kindness, slow to anger, that's patience, and abounding in steadfast love. Maybe the psalmist got to Paul. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And on and on and on and on we could go through the scriptures. See, Paul has someone in mind as he begins to describe Christian love. Paul's not just making up an ideal. He's describing a kind of love that he already knows. Paul's describing a kind of love he's already seen. Look back at your text with me. Verse 4. Love is patient and kind. 
Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Paul isn't writing about something he doesn't know. Paul, the murderer of Christians, is writing about a love that blinded him on the road to Damascus. Paul is writing about a kind of love he has experienced firsthand. Earlier I asked you guys, how often do you experience this kind of love? I don't know what your answer was, but if Paul was in here, he'd raise his hand and he'd say, I, I experienced this kind of love. So if we want to define Christian love, we do it here. We don't start with what we think love is. We don't import transactional love into the scriptures. We start with who is love. We define love by the author of it. And if we know our Bible, we know the Apostle John would agree with us. He writes in 1 John, he says, God is love. God is agape. John uses the same word there that Paul is using. God is selfless, willful, intentional love. We like to invert those, right? We like to say love is God in our hearts and our minds. Like the song, I'll do anything for love, right? Because love is ultimate to most of us. It's the ultimate thing. But that's not what scripture says. Love isn't ultimate. God is ultimate. And we'll only know love by looking first at God. Listen to me. Paul is defining Christian love by the character and nature of the same person that he met on the road to Damascus, the risen Lord Jesus Christ, God in flesh. Family, I would love to go through each one of these characteristics and unpack them. That would be tremendously helpful to us. Um, but we don't have the time for that unless we agree Sunday night church is an option and I can feel you groaning as I say that. And even if I did dig into these one by one, uh, I could probably also just give you 10 seconds and say, hey, look over this list. And what, what do you think when you do? Are you thinking, man, I really have failed at loving like this says. If, if you don't say that, if you say, you know what, I'm really hitting this out of the park. I really have this down. Then ask your spouse if you really have this down or ask your kids if you have this down or kids, ask your parents if you have this down. But here's the thing. Today, I actually want to take our eyes off of ourselves and I want us to look somewhere else. It's, it's true. Transformation does come from self-examination, but transforma transformation starts by staring at Jesus Christ. And that's what I think we need to do when we read this text. In fact, Paul is doing that right here. Do you know that he uses these exact same terms, this same language, to describe God the Holy Spirit and how the Spirit manifests himself in the life of a Christian? He does that in Galatians. Paul uses the same words. He says, uh, the gifts of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the characteristics that erupt out of your life when you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. When God himself is living inside of you, without that, there can be no love like this. So what's the point, Rick? The point is Paul's listing two things here. Paul is listing 
what love is. He's describing what love is by listing the character and nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's describing what love isn't by systematically listing the negative characteristics of the way the Corinthian church is acting when they all come together. Here's what I hope we see in this. When we aren't setting our eyes on Jesus, it's really easy to start gazing at our own navel. It's really easy to start getting selfish. It's really easy to start thinking things are important that aren't really important. It's really easy to get rude. It's really easy to get bitter. It's really easy to get prideful. It's really easy to get arrogant. And these things will not only damage you in your life and other people around you, they will seep into Christian community and damage the body of Christ as well. When you lose sight of what love really is, you'll begin to believe a lie about what love isn't. And then you'll go tell that story with the way you act towards other people, the way you respond towards other people, the way that you think and function around other people, and it will not be a story of love that you're telling. Jesus said in John 13, everyone's gonna know you're my disciples by the way that you love each other. The inverse is true, too. It's really hard to tell if you're a disciple if you don't have the aroma of Christian love in your life. Jesus also said, the way you've seen me love and the way I love you, that's how you need to love other people. But it's hard. Transactional love exists everywhere around us, and it just seeps into our life, and we begin to become these conduits, and that's exactly how we love other people. But the nature of Christian love should destroy selfishness. Let's see how. Let's keep moving. Look at verse 8 in your text. Love never ends. Underline that in your Bible or write it in your notes because I want you to keep that statement in your mind. It's going to be really important in a minute. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. We're going to stop right there. Love never ends. Don't you have a love for Paul? He's always looking forward. He's always remembering what's to come, and he always has this tendency to grab it, to pull it here, and to look at his current situation through those lenses, and he's doing that here also. In the movie Gladiator, there's that famous line where uh, Russell Crowe says, what we do in life echoes in eternity. And all the men said, yes, that's true, right? I think Paul might flip that. And Paul might say the echoes of eternity define what we do in life. Paul's reminding the Christian of their future by showing them what will fade away and what will actually stay forever. Prophecies, tongues, knowledge, these are spiritual gifts that are given to the church so that they can know and make known the God of the Bible. And they are operating now in this already not yet time between Jesus' resurrection and his return, the time that we live in. Those things are happening now, but one day they will end, 
Paul says. And Paul says right now in this place and at this time, we can't see everything. We can't make sense of everything. We're just catching glimpses of the kingdom of God as it's crashing into our world. Things are a little fuzzy. They're a little foggy. Kind of like when you take a shower that's too hot and you get out and the mirror is real foggy and, and all you see are these outlines. And maybe you're like, I'm glad I can see outlines. I don't want to see what's actually looking back at me in that mirror. But there will come a day when just like you take a towel and you wipe off that mirror and, and your beautiful face is now staring back at you crystal clear, there will come a day when that mirror is wiped off and we can see. Look at verse 12 with me. Paul says, now, that's today, that's temporal, now I know in part, this is the foggy mirror, we only know in part, he says, then I shall know fully. A day is coming when we will stand face to face with Jesus, and in that moment, the things that have been foggy to us will no longer be foggy to us. John tells it this way in Revelation. He says, the dwelling place of God will be with man. He'll dwell with them. They'll be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. No more mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. Then I shall know fully, Paul says. But there's also something else here, church. We're not done with the verse. We cannot ignore how Paul finishes this verse. Look at it again. I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Did you catch that? The last five words. Underline it, highlight it, text it to your friends. I have been fully known. This is the pinnacle of God's love for us in Jesus Christ, and it is the truth which empowers us to love other people. Can we do an, an exercise in here for a moment? Can you guys humor me, close your eyes right where you sit, and imagine just for a moment what it would be like to be fully known? What if somebody knew every fear you had? And I don't just mean fear like spiders or snakes. I mean fear like sometimes it's hard to get up in the morning. What if somebody knew every insecurity that you had? And again, not surface level insecurities, but things you were deeply insecure about. Like, man, I don't even know how to lead my family well or lead my wife well or... I love my husband well. What if somebody knew all of your thoughts? What if somebody knew all of your shame? What if somebody knew every harsh word that you had ever spoken or every harsh word spoken to you that crushed your soul? What if somebody knew every evil thing that you had ever done or every evil thing that had been done to you that has maybe even sort of defined your life. Every single one of these moments and a million 
more, church family. You have been fully known. The God of the Bible reaches out to you. You guys can open your eyes. The God of the Bible reaches out to you through his son, Jesus Christ, and says, I know all of those things, and I love you. I fully know you, and I love you. And here's the thing. God's love doesn't just cling you off and wipe your nose and tell you to go be a good kid. God's love says, I'm going to take all those things, and I'm going to put them right on my son. And I'm going to take everything that's good in him, and I'm going to give it to you. That is what it means to be fully known and fully loved by the God of the Bible. And of course you aren't worth it. That's the point. That's the point. Of course you can't give him anything back. This is not a transactional love. We have nothing to give. And once we begin to understand that, once we begin to be made more and more aware of that in our lives, we're freed then to pour that kind of love out on other people. So yes, you can pour it out on your spouse, so you can use this verse in a wedding. You can pour it out on your um, siblings. You can pour it out on your neighbors. You can pour it out on your coworkers. You can pour that kind of love out to other people in this church. It's this love which should characterize and control the local church. This kind of love is what Redeemer should be known for. How cool would it be if people said, man, Redeemer, that church, they don't get everything right, but they sure are willing to love in a way that I just haven't seen before. Paul ends with verse 13. So we'll end there today too. He says, so now... Faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Now, that's temporal again, today at 9.56 a.m. on Sunday, September 24th, faith, hope, and love abide, these three. Today, today these are the three things we live by, faith, hope, and love. But a day will come when we no longer need faith. Because we'll have sight. We will see Jesus. And we will no longer need faith. A day will come when we will no longer need hope. The future, the glorious future of the new creation that we hope in as Christians, that will one day be today. And we will no longer need the hope. But one thing will remain. Because it's eternal. And that's love. It's Christian love. This is why Paul says Christian love is the more excellent thing. It's more excellent than any gift that will pass away. It's more excellent than any kind of love that the world will preach and proclaim as ultimate. The selfless love of God made manifest in Jesus Christ, that love is eternal. And the Christian will enjoy the actions and affections of that love forever, and we will forever enjoy the person from whom it flows, Christ Jesus himself, church family. Let me pray for us. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I just ask that you would um, 
that you would comfort us with the reality that we are fully known and we are fully loved. That there is nothing hidden from your eye, there is nothing hidden from your, your sight. You call us to repentance and you extend to us the gift of faith in Jesus Christ. And I just ask, even as we think about that this morning in those areas of our life where we're failing to love well and to love rightly as, as you've put on display for us in your son, I ask that you would transform our hearts, even those really, really hard places, that you just begin to transform our hearts so that we can love like you do. Help us to love you more. Help us to love one another more. We trust you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you are looking for info, find our website at RedeemerRR.org or download the Redeemer Round Rock app from the Android or iOS app store.